The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife, save the environment, save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with Ellie Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Good morning and welcome to Our Wild World. We can all agree it's been a rough year for many of us in the world of conservation and that in all the rapidly shifting politics and policies that seem to target undermining the protections we have in place, conservation continues and there is a lot of good news that doesn't seem to make it into the headlines. It's a common thread that we hear in newsletters is bad news. I was once told that if what we share is hopelessness, then it will be difficult to inspire people to become involved in shaping our world for the better. Today, my guest is author, speaker, and conservationist Lori Robinson, whom I met at Jackson Hole Film Festival in 2013. She was an inspiration then, and she's continued to be a champion for engaging her audiences to be inspired. So welcome, Lori. Thank you, Ellie. I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here because this is a topic that I think really needs more attention and a lot of discussion. So you tackled the big one. How do conservationists stay inspired? And you wrote two books on this theme in little over a year. First off, let's back up and start with what was the impetus for that? That's a good question. And I wanted to comment on something you said in the intro, and that is that This year has been a particularly rough year, and yes, I agree with that, but I think conservation in general is always a challenge. And so that is sort of the lead-in to why I wrote two books. I've been in the conservation world like you for a very long time. I've been traveling to Africa for 34 years, and I had met many of these conservation legends in my work in Africa, and I was so, I'm, I'm so in awe of them, and I figured that Um, I don't think anyone can have a passion and a love for wildlife and wild places and not find themselves depressed and overwhelmed and feeling like I can't possibly do anything. And I think those feelings, they are coming up more maybe now, but I think they always come up in this work. Um, You know, whether you feel it once a year or once a week or whatever, I think they're there. And, and so I wanted to find out how those legends of conservation, the people I've met in Africa and the people who are just mired in the work of helping saving wildlife and wild places, I wanted to find out from them, you know, they must feel those feelings too, just like we do. How do they cope with those feelings? How do they stay the course? How do they stay inspired? 
And I also wanted to tell their story of just what their life is really like. Um, so you, just- you did this in two books. The first one, Living Wild. Um, Saving saving Wild. Saving Wild. I apologize. Saving Wild. And you're in it. You you actually (laughs) asked the conservationists to, um, you asked them that question and asked them to write a a chapter, a paragraph on that. In your second book, you interviewed 50 conservationists and then summarized and quoted and put together um, a much bigger picture of, I think, what you gathered from the first book and the process that you went through and everything you just said to come up with how do we do this in this really difficult period of time on Earth. Right. You know what happened, Allie? Just a quick thing. Um, I, I had interviewed a bunch of these legends, and I was really excited about sharing their story, but I didn't have the confidence that I could get the book published, and that was called Wild Lives. And I was sitting with all these chapters and interviews, and I and then I, because I didn't think I could get it published, I self-published one of the questions I had asked them, which was, "How do you stay inspired?" And then I expanded on that. So I have the little paperback, "Saving Wild," which is, "How do you stay inspired?" And it's a really it's a really inspirational book. I mean, people have told me they put it by their bedside, and when they do feel these overwhelmed feelings and get depressed about the politics or the net, you know, what they're reading on Facebook and the next poaching incident and all that, they can find some inspiration from these 50 people. And I agree with that. I think it's a fabulous book. And I'm just going to put in here, uh, you asked me, so I am in one of the chapters. But when you asked me that question a couple of years ago, I was a very angry person and it was a very difficult time for being inspired. And um, it's difficult for me to go back and read what I wrote because so much has happened. And now I've come through that, which is what we're going to talk about today, and found myself re-inspired in a very difficult time. Mm -hmm. I think that in this field, we are sort of um, encouraged to push on, push forward, uh, keep, you know, a step up or lip kind of thing. And it's really a shame because when we don't feel inspired, we, we sometimes don't even talk about it. We don't really have someone to go to and say, I'm really, I'm, I'm just like in a funk about this, you know, the state of the world. So um, it was so interesting because only one person in 50, Gloria Flora, can I read you what she wrote? In Absolutely, Facebook? please do. She is the only person, Ellie, that's, that was said, I'm not inspired. She's Okay, so I asked her the question, How do you stay inspired despite all that's going on? The same question I asked all the 50. And she writes, every time I drafted something to answer this question, I ended up with hollow platitudes that even I couldn't swallow. True, there are wonderful people doing wonderful things and nature continues to inspire in its intricacy, stunning beauty and relationships. Even a handful of soil is more complex than me. But the plain truth is that I'm not inspired these days. The more I know the more I despair. I can relate to that one because I was pretty much in the same position when you asked me the same question. And if I had been honest enough, I probably would have said the same thing. But I think, as I recall, I said, I'm angry. And I was angry, and I turned that into my motivation, which is true. But it was a, it's a very different... coming Being motivated by anger is a very different 
motivation than being angered by possibility. I mean, not angered, motivated by possibility. And I think that's what your second book got into. Not only the history of some amazing people and how they got started and set the bar for a lot of conservation models today and or research and data, but what we do. So, um, do you want to talk a little bit more about Saving Wild? Yeah, well, I wanted to say what you just said about the anger thing. I think that, you know, we aren't talking about anger. We aren't talking. Well, I mean, we, we do. We say I'm angry or I don't want to talk about it. You know, the politics is in our face every day. Or we look through our feed on Facebook. And I mean, I'm guilty of this. I look through it and I, I just I know I know that elephants are being poached. I know that that rhinos are on the tipping point of extinction. I know this stuff. And so in in. Um, in Wild Lives, George Schaller, who is one of the most amazing um, conservationists, you know, he was there before Jane Goodall and before Diane Fossey and all these people. And I asked him, um, what, you know, what are we supposed to do? And he said, we're supposed to do something. We're right. supposed to take action. And um, and I think, and he also in the book, he said, we have tagged enough al- enough animals. We have you know, darted them, sedated them, researched the heck out of them. It's time to find solutions and to move forward from all this knowledge and research. And I think one of the points is that we do. The Internet has been incredible for giving us knowledge and awareness of what's going on. Um, but and, and it's also incredibly um it's you know it allows us to hit that despair and hit that anger but if we stay stuck there we aren't lifting ourselves up and finding solutions instead we're sort of forcing we're forcing blame and outrage into the world and that's that's really too bad because if we can't talk about something we're feeling it festers and then it's harder to find a way out well i think that stage was necessary for a lot of us because as you'd said earlier it's so in our face and uh, you know to take a moment on the facebook thing what is good about this and how i can find inspiration from this now even though the news is awful basically i just skip over it because i know it i've been doing this too long as you said we know it but the upside of that is it's so ubiquitous now that the inspiration for that without having to read it and get drawn into the sadness of the particular episode is that so many more people are aware so that's a good thing and now that is um an impetus for us to say okay let's find a way to bring all this together from this fractured landscape of some of these sad things and there are truly sad things going on but bring this global Facebook audience up to, let I'm going to say our level, the silverbacks of conservation that we've been doing this for decades, to say look, here's what we can do with our outrage. Here's what we can do with our sadness. There is things to be done. And recently a, um, I, a, a gentleman who wrote an article on the Sumatran rhino or the um, vaquita, excuse me, um, Conservation, as you just said, and what George Saller had said, is no longer about biology. We've done all that work. We've done the research. We've got the tools. Now what we need to do is turn around 180 degrees from looking out at the ocean or looking across the savanna at the decline and look at the people. 
we are going to be the answer. And that's the shift, I think, is the core of what we're, you're trying to say. Right. So conservation has moved into that arena several years ago, especially, I mean, since I'm so familiar with Africa and so are you. It's not just about the animals anymore. It's about how the people and the animals are relating and working together. And I think, I think in our world as well, I mean, we can talk about this later, but I made a huge, a huge change in my life um, to allow for urban, urban wildlife habitat. You know, we, we are losing habitat at such a alarming rate that every little piece matters now. And so we can't just save parks anymore and say, and call it good because there's just not enough room left for, for all the animals that, that need to be here with us. Well, this moves into E.O. Wilson's concept of half Earth and a conversation I just had with Damien Mander, the International Anti-Poaching Foundation, that, as you said, the parks are secure. They have instru- infrastructure. They're on the map. We know it. What we're not paying attention and what we do need to pay attention to is all the unprotected places and find ways to get the average person in the community involved, whether it's your suburban, urban, or rural habitat here, or the community of, let's say, previous hunting blocks that were not eco-tourist places that didn't draw the yeah. um, the magnitude of people, but they have communities, they have viable land, and they have wildlife life. We have to protect these unexpected places. Well, going back to what George Schaller said, he you know about we every single one of us has to get involved. And it sounds so simplistic, but if each of us were involved with helping save the planet as if it was a priority, as if it is the priority, and it should be the priority in our life. Then, and no matter what field of expertise we're in, the world would be a totally different place. And I, I was thinking about it, and I was thinking there's so many ways to get involved. Because earlier you're like, what, what do we do with this anger? What do we do with this, what we call ecological despair that we're dealing with on a daily basis in each of us? Um, and so there, I think there, I have a list of sort of, you know, I, I kind of made a list of the different people and how we can get involved. So maybe we can talk about that in a, in a bit. Absolutely. So um, once again, my guest is Lori Robinson and her two books, Wild Lives, right? Yes. And, and Save Saving All. Wild. So they're both inspirational books to read and they, they are complementary to each other. So I would urge my listeners to read them both. One is, as Laurie said, a bedside book that you can draw on to say, okay, I've got a reason to get out of bed today. And the other is for, on some levels, Conservation 101, um, for those of us uh, out here listening that don't quite understand what got us to this place in where we are and what we have saved. And the other is about some of the benchmarks, the hallmarks, the legends, the silverbacks, and how they um, continue on. So right now we're going to take a little break and stick with us. This is Ellie with my guest Lori Robinson and we will be right back on how to stay inspired. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Wildlife. No wild. 
No life. Big. Scary. Beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. And welcome back with my guest, Lori Robinson. And we left off at a point where Lori, through this process and all her years of experience and talking to so many people who are out there doing it, along with doing it herself, and, you know, turning the need for us to turn to protecting what we can and that Earth is hiring, it needs all of us. And a list that you'd made of. So um, this brings us to... How you got to this, the impetus for writing this. So talk, let's talk about this list a little bit. Okay, well, okay, so, you know, Wild Lives is about these legends, right? And, and, and they've devoted 40 years of their life. I mean, in the introduction, I wrote, some of the people in my books have been thrown in jail and thrown out of countries. Some are hated by hunters and hunted by rebels. They work in some of the remotest areas in the world at all kinds of weather. They've used sea ice for a pillow, been charged by elephants and buffalo, bitten by snakes and chased by rhino. Most of them can't even recall how many times they've had malaria or nearly died. They're all breaking boundaries, trying new ways of doing things and challenging the status quo. And, and you know, um, we know even like the Joe Bears, Beverly and Derek, who you know and I know, um, I mean, they, they said they can't even count how many times they've been charged by a buffalo. And recently they were seriously charged and almost lost their lives. So it's a, it's, it's a quite, um, they have amazing stories. But we, you and me and most of the people on this earth who care about the earth and care about wildlife and wild places are not going to devote our everyday life to, to the work, right? So, I mean, we're not going to be out in the field. So I came up with 
you know, what what can we do? I mean, we're not going out to um, save the polar bear and live on the ice cap, for instance. And we're not going to be living in Af- in the middle of Africa for 40 years and be charged by buffaloes and things like that. So I, I wrote this. I came up with that. Um, there's There's some players, and each of them are playing very important roles. And I think that maybe your listeners might relate to which one of these they are. So... And none of them, none of these players can do it alone. And we can't turn this whole thing around without all these types of people. So I think there's the connectors, the people who are naming, proving, and educating. They're the scientists, the conservationists, the journalists, the campaigners. They're also the people on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter who share the atrocities of what's happening in the world and who keep our eyes open, like you were talking about earlier, to what's happening and what we've created and what and what it's causing. These are the connectors and they connect us to reality and information and evidence and cause and effect. Then we have the creatives. These are the people rethinking the way we do things. They creatively redesign the structures and systems that make up our society. They're the people asking the question, is there a better way to do this? They're the one that brings benefits rather than causing harm. You know that new documentary, Ellie, called Prosperity? I don't know if you saw it. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm aware of it. It has many examples of these creatives and people who are doing businesses that are actually doing good for the world, proving you can have prosperity and ethics and be good to the planet. Whole Foods' story of bringing organic from the fringe to the mainstream is another example. So those are the creatives. Um, And then we have the spirits. These are the people focused on the needed spiritual awakening side of this ecological revolution. These people are showing us a deeper connection to self, others, and the natural world around us. Animal communicators, um, uh, the author of trees that communicate to each other, non-human animals that have the same emotions as, as us is commonplace now. These are people reminding us that each of us has a greater capacity than we have ever known for love, compassion, empathy, and kindness. And, and, those, and the, that those attributes are not unique to us, but they belong to all beings. So I think those are the three broad areas. And, you know, we, we live in one of those, I think. I mean, there's the spirit people, there's the connecting people, and there's the creatives. And we need all of us to be doing our place, no matter what field we're in, to, to turn this thing around. Well, absolutely. And this brings us to a point where each of us, let's say here in our Western developed world, which is a very different world and lifestyle than someone living in Africa in a wild space or uh, along a border of a park. We have very different relationships to wildlife. And it's not just about the Western version of loving wildlife, loving animals. It's, you, you had stated it, benefits. And it's not just about ecosystem service benefits that puts it into a monetized unit about us. As you had said and what E.O. Wilson said and what so many people in your book books are saying, it's about finding a better way to coexist. I call it Conservation Urgent Update OSX. So we need to shift the entire human paradigm mindset to be protectors or and, re, and take it out of the extraction language and dialogue. Well, we're in partnership with nature. I mean, and we we know that now. I think we lost our way for a while. But inside, we are in partnership with nature. And when we connect with that, we know that, then 
then we need to make all our choices reflect that. Whether we're living in the bush in Africa next to, you know, next to lions, or we're here in our in my space next to deer and bobcat, um, we're we're connected, and we need to find a way to really know that in in our in our DNA. I mean, we have it in our DNA, but we need to to get that and understand it and live by that knowing. Well, I, I watched a, re- a documentary recently, and I think it's called I Am, and that you mention it, and it's in our DNA, and there's research now that it is in our DNA, yes. and that, uh, you know, the, the soul of us is more in our heart and our gut than it is in our brains. Our brain is an amazing uh, chemical set of reactions, but what guides it? And you can look at a Hallmark card or you can watch a movie where somebody's crying and you'll find your own facial expression smiling or laughing. And that is heartstrings. And that is what is going to pull us together. So we are, as a species, hardwired for compassion. And as you said, we've gotten off this track through, oh, this modern model of consumption, consumption, consumption. So how do you tell, so so you and I both live in a sub-rural or sub-urban area, and um, there's a very good book on this called Nature Wars, not to promote something that's outside of what we're talking about today, but it, it talks very much about we have created spaces for wildlife that we can live alongside deer, foxes, bobcat, and carnivores, predators, mountain lions, and bears, and the conflicts that that creates. So how do you go about, through your books and through your speaker series, presenting this to someone who does not live in a rural area, who lives in a concrete jungle? Okay, I'll answer that, but I wanted to go back a second because you said something really important about we, you know, we use, we use only 2%. So 2% of our brain is rash is, is based on rational decisions. And we live in that pretty much full time, especially in the Western world. 98% of our brain is connected to our intuition. And like you brought up the gut, there is a whole nother world opening. And it is so exciting because um, you know, when I was young, I didn't even I didn't even really know to even listen to my intuition. I mean, I was doing it naturally, and we all do, but we have all this. It's a time right now where science and spirituality are merging, and both are contributing to our understanding of ourselves, and both are telling us that we're intimately interwoven with the entire world. I mean, we know this, but we have to get back to it. We have to get back to that knowing, and that me is so exciting and so profound and so necessary for this shift that we want for the world well that Um, is that is a shift that so many more people are becoming aware of whatever you want to call it gaia the web of life interconnectedness you and i are of an age where we grew up in a very different world without computers without cell phones without all these devices as our interface to the natural world so there is a a few decades of people we'll call them the millennials that didn't grow up with playing outside with playing with each other and being face to face and you know the physical touch between people we've kind of lost that over these last 30 years and it's had a devastating effect on our connectedness to nature so this is 
a job that a lot of us, you included, me included, that conservation is about people and that we have to, it's unfortunate to have to use the term, reconnect with nature. Because if we pay attention, we're already connected. We are of nature. So how do you, let's go back to that question and thank you for bringing that up. Um, How do we, how do you go about doing this? Get yeah. re-engaging, re-inspiring people to that innate compassion and desire and love for the you know, awesomeness that is this planet we live on. Okay, on the one hand, I think it's happening because we, we're creating a new story, like you just said. You know, it used to be one way and now it's, it's kind of, there's new information out there, science and spirituality emerging, like I just said. There's all this new stuff happening. So... Um, in the early stages of a major transition, new ideas and actions, you know, they exist on the fringes of society, right? But the more people that pass on inspiring perspectives like you do with your show and, and the, you know, that I did with my books, and the more ideas and behaviors um, that are passed on that are inspiring, they become contagious and they finally become mainstream thought. We're social animals. We have a natural tendency towards mimicry. And following the majority, it's an efficient thing. And that's a good thing. It happens to be, um, it's good sometimes and it can work against us. Like I, I read somewhere that when we see message, um, there's like 83% of people don't recycle. If we see that, like we, if we see that in the news or something, we think, well, so many people aren't doing it. Why should I do it? People throw more litter on the ground, Ellie, in areas that are already littered because we're socially connected to do what others do. Now, the good news about that and the thing that I think is so wonderful is that when these new stories spread, they become the norm and others start following. And even the people who are reluctant now or who don't care or who don't want to know or shut themselves down, it's like a, it's like a wildfire effect. And so everybody kind of gets on board and it's mainstream. And I think we are in the process of that. I think I agree. It's a grand social experiment that was actually put into place many, a few decades ago called the broken windows concept that when you're in a neighborhood where all the buildings are derelict and the windows are broken, that the community tends not to care. But when you fix those windows, the community says, ah, there's something I can care about, and they tend to clean up their neighborhood, whether it's litter or reconnect through community and grow a different spirit. So I agree with you 100% on that one. Yeah, yeah. And so back to how, what do we do? I think we each have to find our own way. I mean, I can certainly tell you what I did and what I've done to, to reconnect. I call it rewilding my soul. And it took me quite a few years to even realize how important this this shift was for me, and I can tell you what I did. But um, yes, yeah, okay. Do we have we have time in this? Yes, section? we do. Okay, so I think I was living this very um, fast-paced life. I was, I was, I had, I had left my passion of conservation as, and I had it as my hobby, and I was um, in the money management business, and I had a big home in Santa Barbara, and um, every time I was leading, I was leading tours to Africa and doing work in Africa still on my time off. And I would come home and I would think, I want that. And I was like, what is that? You know, you, you don't want to move to Africa. What is that that you're wanting? And I, after years, I realized it was, a, it was this connection to nature, which you get very much more purely 
in a place like Africa, if you go out into the national parks, because it's just miles and miles of nothingness, no people, it's just you're surrounded by so many animals and, you know, the way it used to be here. And it's hard to find that kind of wildness. But well, it's connect- I'm going to interject one second. You can yeah. get that feeling, listeners, anybody, you can get that just by walking into a patch of woods and disconnect from your uh, earbuds and disconnect from your devices and stand there and listen and tune your ears toward listening to the birds, get your eyes, your spotting eyes on, and start watching for the movement. So it can be done here, even in our fast-paced life. So let's go back to that. Uh, I think part of what that was for you was slowing things down, maybe. You know what? I was so speeded up and so in in my rational mind that I needed a huge jolt of it over and over and over. So I did walk in the woods. I did hike with my dog all the time. But the jolt of being in Africa for like a month at a time um, with, you know, with not surrounded by my normal world is what really shifted me. It's a very different pace. It's a very different pace. And I would come back and I said, how can I have that in my life? And so I basically downsized my whole life and I sold most of my things and I sold my house and I and I bought a tiny little old home um, connected to the woods in Santa Fe and I have a deer, I have deer, coyote, uh, if you're on my Facebook page, Lori Saving Wild, I'm constantly posting all my wildlife that comes through and people are like, you're so lucky and yes, I do feel lucky because it is, it is rare to have this connection but I'm learning, like I'm learning that I need to, they were here long before me, I don't have fences, I'm not putting any fences up, I need to also put up with the fact that they may eat something that I that I planted that I didn't realize that they were that hungry, that they needed that, or they, you know, I'm not sort of separating myself from them. And that, I think that, yeah. that's what we need. So um, yeah. we need to take a, a quick break here, but we're going to continue on with this because this is part of the real conversation we each need to be having with each other. So uh, stick with us, my guest, Lori Robinson, and we'll be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E 
www.thepatriotmedia.org. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to L.A. Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. And welcome back. This is Ellie Weiss, Our Wild World, and my guest, Lori Robinson. So through the f- previous parts of this episode, we've had a lot to cover. And Lori's personal journey of not only being involved in the nuts of nuts and bolts of conservation, but asking how to stay inspired. And what we're trying to do here today is take you through this, your own personal journey of the discomfort and the vibe we're all feeling now. It all feels kind of hectic and chaotic because we're in the middle of what Lori's talking about. We're in the middle of this shift. So, or Lori, maybe you, at the beginning. You, talk, you talked about that we're in the beginning of writing a new story. Yeah. So we, we sort of went in that, and let's go there some more on what you mean by that, which will take us into how do we do it. For those of us who are not quite sure of what to do with this un- uncomfortable place, there are things we can do. So what do you mean by the new story? Yeah. I mean, I like to call it the ecological revolution, and it's sort of like it's it's kind of um, saying again what we've said this that during this program, which I think is so important. It You know, we're saying things that maybe you've heard before, but they're super super profound because we are in a shift. I wouldn't say we're in the middle. I would say we're in the beginning and we don't feel it. It's kind of like that proverbial um, frog in the boiling water, you know, um, science project where we, we don't even know we're in it while it's happening, but we can name all kinds of things to show us that we actually are in it. And that is in itself inspirational and I myself need to remind myself of that that we're in this and that things are happening but it doesn't let me off the hook and it shouldn't let any of us off the hook writing a new story the ecological revolution is going to take all of us all of us or uh, most of us to be on board because like I said earlier when a lot of us have the new story and we're saying it and we're acting it and blah, then we can, we are, there's an impetus in the world and even the people that are reluctant will get carried along. But for instance, why, you know, in the eighties we were competing on who had the best, well, I lived, I lived in Santa Barbara. So, you know, who had, who drove a BMW or a Mercedes, who had the biggest house, who had, um, who knew all the, the latest movies, whatever these competition, who, whose salary was the highest. It was this, this competitive consumerist world. And so why can't we compete now with who has the greenest house in the neighborhood? Who has the most wildlife coming to, you know, around them? Who goes hiking the most? I mean, why can't we change our competitive ways to be more um, sustainable and green? Because we are, we are competitive people. We are human. We can, we're not going to take away that. We need to just think outside of the box, think more creatively, push ourselves individually and collectively 
to really do things that may be uncomfortable that are really different from what we were doing before. I want to give you an example. The, the Huffington Post did a, did a review of Wild Lives, and she read one of the chapters in there, and she wrote to me, the reviewer wrote to me and said, I tore out my entire garden after I read from Thomas Lovejoy um, that you, you, know, you need to plant natives. and all. He, She tore out her entire acre and planted natives, took down her fence, and she is like thrilled because she feels a sense of action. Longing. And action. Yeah. And belonging, yes, and belonging. And when you're doing something, you feel so much better because if you get stuck, like we said before, in that despair, you know, I mean, psychologists know this. They try to get people to talk and to to act. You, you can sit in a, in a room with a psychotherapist in front of you for, for years just sort of feeling down or sad or depressed. And we all have what's called, I think, the, the, the great grief right now, you know, about the state of the world. But you can't sit there. You can't. There's actually an article called The Great Grief that I read. It has to be three or four years ago now. So what I think the point is, is that this wave, this tsunami, even though it's the beginning wave way out there in the middle of the ocean, we're starting to see it come to shore. This shift in our mental thinking, this change in our well-being that it's what I call a uh, shift in uh, the benchmark of what we define and call health and wealth. And a friend of mine put it very well, the have and the have-nots. You just defined what we always called having, where yeah. I think the new story is having is a rich biodiversity, a planet that sustains us, and create more of that for the have-nots who don't have this sense of belonging, this sense of taking action. And what you're helping us define and make tangible is through your books and what we need to do. A, a, a general sort of Cliff Notes guideline to-do list of how anybody can get engage. Yeah, it's yes, it's true. And, um, you know, I think that reminding ourselves I, I think that so many people think oh what can I do just little old me and you know Jane Goodall is uh, she's a friend of mine and I've known her all my life and she's famous for you know saying uh, one person can make a difference and it's true and all those ones add up and I know you guys listening to this know that but we can we, we do not have the luxury or the time to sit around anymore and be depressed about the situation we have to do every single thing that we are capable of doing. I wanted to, um, you know who Rick, Rick O'Berry is? Yes. You know, I don't know if you're, he, he's not as famous as he should be. I mean, as well known, but well, he's, he's amazing. one of the quiet doers. I think one of the points you're getting to is there are the quiet doers that, you know, we just keep going on because we have to. And no, I think no. what you're talking well, about is there is a role for everyone. We can't all be Jane Goodall. We can't all be George Schaller. They've been doing this for 30, 40, 50 years. What we're looking at is now and the next 50 years, we're trying to rebuild, re-engage, and connect to the next Jane Goodall, the next George Schaller, the next right. person who's going to create this wave for the 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 percentage of the population that is in despair 
Right. And you know what, Ellie, I think the reason I brought up Rick O'Berry is because it, he's a perfect example of someone who he made such a shift and it was actually built on consciousness. He was, he used to go out into, I grew up in Florida and he used to go out into the waters near where my house was and capture wild dolphins and bring them in and put them in cages for the Miami Seaquarium. And then he helped develop the show called Flipper. And one day, Flipper, it's a long story, you can read it in the book, Wild Lives, but one day Flipper died in his arms, and his awareness of that is shifted him to now want to get all captive dolphins to be, you know, to be to, for that to be illegal. But what I love about that for each of us to connect to is it was a, an awareness inside of him, I can't keep doing what I'm doing, and I care about this, and I know, especially your listeners, care so much about the state of the planet and it's like how do they just take that one step that shoves them into the direction of doing something bigger than what they're doing today you know i agree and i'd I'd say there's few people that don't care about the, the state of the planet right i think part of the shift that what we're talking about here today is the state of us this species called humans. We have to look at another way of being. And that is what you're getting to. So um, you'd come back to this list. And in, in your perspective, from talking to these people and from the books, I strongly suggest our listeners pick up the books. What, what are some real world things my listeners can do right now? Yeah. So I, it, it was such a common thread that all these people in my books find their inspiration from nature. And you brought it up earlier. It's how do we on a daily basis go into that place where either, okay, so you can do it as simply as if you're in your office all day, you breathe in your air and that air is being breathed by everyone and every being and that air is connecting us to nature, Um, That's a simple thing. Every time we eat, we are connected profoundly to nature. If we are aware of when we're putting the basil, you know, in our mouth or the tomato or the even the meat, um, it's all connected. It it can be a profound connection to nature. Michael Pollan says that. Um, And then if you can get outside and walk and use all five of your senses so that you're present. Don't put earbuds in. I see so many people hiking like they're running through the woods and they got earbuds in. It That would be just the same as the way you do your work. You're doing nature. We don't want to do nature. We want to be with nature. Good we want to be in nature. And and so just if you just think about that, even if you sit outside in the morning with a cup of tea and you listen for any bird sounds, or you watch the bees or the butterflies, and you really, it's like a meditation. It starts to change you. It really, really does, but you need to do it, and you need to make a practice of it. And it will connect you in a way that um, opens you up and allows your creative soul to, to follow its path. Nature does that. It's been proved by all the spiritual people and, you know, the Buddhas and the gurus and, um, and the scientists that nature is our way to find ourselves, to connect to ourselves, to heal us on so many levels, physically, emotionally, spiritually, um, and it makes us healthier. 
So that connection is vital if we're going to move forward in any capacity. And it's so wonderful. Both your books, uh, Saving Wild and Wild Lives, are bringing forth this, in a, in a deeper level and a further way, this conversation of, as Mark Beckoff called it, rewilding our hearts. Yes. So, you know, there's so many of us that have been doing this for decades that sometimes we feel like, oh my God, I have to start all over at the first floor of the library in the first book at page 101 and start over again. We mm-hmm. need folks to get there so that many of us who've been doing this for years can be inspired by the larger population getting it catching on and so that we can as i like to say earth is hiring enthrall and bring people back into the awesome beauty that is this living planet when you're walking by with somebody and their child in the park you know point out did you see that squirrel watch who lives in your neighborhood that are non-humans you know what else ellie i would say that every single patch every single plant every single bee every single spider do you know I get a lot of spiders in my house for some reason and I just talk to them and I put them in a little container and I put them outside and I say, thank you, but you're, I don't want you to be contained in my house. Every being, every single being, a fly, a spider, a snake, a whatever, and a raccoon, a skunk, people treat them like they're, they're nothing. They, they belong here and every little patch. Don't just cut down a tree. I mean, trees are a whole a whole other topic that we don't have time to get into. But, you know, we do things without thinking. And so I think just being present, being aware, and really slowing yourself down, that will start you on a whole new path. I think that's a critical point because talking about, you know, from when you had gotten my uh, point for um, – Wild Lives, Saving Wild, excuse me, to this next book, Wild Lives, um, that's what I did. It was a very difficult couple of years for me. Um, Personally, a lot of things happened. And then with the political climate that's going on, it just became overwhelming despair. And I did not know how to find a place to take action again. You know, what's the next wild idea? What's my purpose? Where can... I personally go, who can I connect with, and where can my organization go? But somewhere over the last few months, it clicked that if we focus on the despair and the hopelessness, we're going to stay there. And it's very difficult to open your heart to these other things. And at every opportunity, we have the choice to either make it better or stay stuck in this despair. And in every opportunity, every moment, you can go back into, oh, my God, I'm so depressed and feel this heaviness. Or you can say, I can do something right now that makes me feel better. Because when I feel better, it makes everything better. And that's allowed. We have permission to do that. Absolutely. I think think you've summed it up really well. And just slow down, breathe connect to nature wherever you can i mean it's it's i'm looking at a basil plant on my kitchen counter right now it you know that's nature connect to it know it every time you eat put food in your mouth connect to it every time you walk outside breathe the air just that in itself starts you you know there's there's a big movement called mindfulness and you know it's it's in the yoga field and the meditation field but what we need to do is 
remember that mindfulness, what it truly is, is being present in your head and your body in the moment. That we can do that throughout the day. That we don't have to be acting by rote when we go to the office. We can go look at things differently. Sure, we have to do our work. Sure, it may be boring. Sure, it may not be the thing we love to do. But the thing is, is you can go into that with a different perspective, right? Well, sit outside at lunch. Take your take your salad outside at lunchtime, for instance, right? Have a conversation with the people around you about what's happening in the world, and 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 if you're sad about it, how, you know, open that open that piece of yourself up because other people are sad about it too. Start the dialogue, start the conversation, so you don't sit in that place. That in itself is action. That's a really so, really good point. And that, again, is a lot of what I talk about. We have to connect with each other. Because once we realize as individuals that we're not alone, and you can see this on Facebook all over the place, people seeking connection, and they'll put out how bad they feel. So rather than put that out on the Internet and talk to somebody, create a group of people that you can touch and your neighbors and your community and bring back a connectedness between each of us and that will help us bring back this connectedness to the world around us. You know, conservation is more than preserving wildlife populations or tourist attractions, right? It's a Absolutely. It's a life point. A livelihood story. And it's about sustainable development and it's about symbiotic coexistence. And it's about communities and it's about connection to each other and the natural world. And I know we know this. We just have to move forward every chance we get every day with that knowing. Absolutely. Conservation is not something that is out there in a place far from you. Conservation is a lifestyle and a mindset. Yeah. And it's it gets dried out in words like sustainability and utilization and this dry language of ecosystem benefits. What you have to do is what Lori is talking about and what she highlights so well in all the people in her books. Live it. Because once you live it and you get out there and you start feeling it and tasting it, it changes your whole biochemistry and it changes what goes on in your mind and it changes how you get through your day it is your inspiration that you need to save you know to save what you're wanting to save. that is the inspiration so it's kind of like a circle but um, thomas lovejoy says in the book he says that if something is not lost it can still be saved and that is brilliant for me I'd say that is the best line we could end this program on because unfortunately we're out of time and (laughs) this went so fast and we could talk forever so it would be fun to have you back on again and just talk about some of this these other things that we're feeling and how um, you know practical ways to get involved in your neighborhood but Lori thank you so much for your time it was very inspirational listening to you and I don't mean that lightly so um, listeners sorry Thank you, Ellie, for all you're doing. And I hope listeners will check out savingwild.com if they want to contact me for for any reason. Absolutely. And read um, Lori's uh, bio page here on Our Wild World. And check out the books. And better than that, everybody, go check out your wild world and put your feet on the grass. So thank you, Lori. It was uh, a wonderful time talking to you. 
Thanks so much, Ellie. And we'll see you again next week. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now.